This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. But we will, we will be in the scripture. We're going to be in, in Luke in just a little bit and Isaiah chapter 53. So if you want to find those places, Isaiah 53 and Luke 23, we're going to be in those places. Um, we have a few of these left. If you still want to do some inviting tomorrow uh, to your friends, to your neighbors, uh, to people you don't like, um, would, uh, that, that's really the, those you need to go after. And uh, invite them to come Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, uh, two gatherings here, 9 and 11, and you can give them this and say, hey, meet me at uh, Nagshead Church and we'll sit together. And then after church, I'll take you out and buy you lunch. And, uh, and then we can talk about what, uh, what you heard. But, uh, but thanks for coming out tonight. I always enjoy uh, this particular Good Friday service every year because of what, uh, you know, we do a lot of communions throughout the year, and, uh, but this is the one that we do <clears throat> that we say this was on the day that he was crucified. Um, you, you know the story of the crucifixion. We've been talking about the cross the last uh, couple of Sundays. Um, on Sunday mornings, we're looking at some things about the cross. But kind of let me back up a little bit to get to where we'll be tonight. And this is part of our Epic Transformations series. Um, Jesus met with his 12 disciples in an upper room um, to celebrate Passover and to have the Passover meal. And uh, it was during that, that meeting together that he excused Judas from the gathering because he knew what Judas was about to do. And Judas went out and, of course, um, uh, sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So when the Passover meal was over, which is where we get our, our communion, our Lord's Supper, is from that Passover meal. When it was over, they went out singing a song, singing a hymn, and, and they made their way to the Mount of Olives just outside the city gates of Jerusalem, and they went there, and that's where the, you know, the story is of Jesus praying, and um, uh, I'm certain that the prayer uh, that he prayed in, in John chapter 17 was part of that, but it's at that time of prayer, turns to his disciples, you guys stay here and just keep awake, keep watch, I'm going to go off and pray, and it was during that time, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, but not what I will, but you will let your will be done. And um, they slept. They didn't stay awake. And he went back and woke them and and, uh, rebuked them and went back to his prayer and heard the noise of Judas and the soldiers coming to arrest him. And they arrested him there. In the garden, the disciples fled. They scattered, took Jesus, and uh, who offered no resistance. And he went with them and they took him into the city. Um, at sunup, they took him before, after beating him, they took him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the 70 Jewish elders who controlled all of Judaism. And, and uh, the high priest was part of that group. And, and uh, he brought them before them for, for a trial. Uh, they decided that uh, even though they charged him with blasphemy, they decided what we need to do is to take him we, we don't have the authority to execute was their way of thinking. And by the way, we don't want this to fall on us as Jews. Let's put this on the Romans. So they took him to Pilate, who was the governor there, the Roman governor 
Um, and they took him to Pilate, and, and uh, Pilate listened to him for a while, and, and um, you know, Pilate couldn't find anything really that he had done that was wrong other than the charge against him that he says he's the king of the Jews. And, and he, so Jesus, he, he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus looked at him and said, well, you said that. And uh, so th- he couldn't find anything. That he, had, he wasn't an insurrectionist. He wasn't a criminal in any way. And so <clears throat> Pilate got the idea, you know what, but this he's from Nazareth, which is in Galilee. And that really is Herod Antipas. That's his jurisdiction. So I'm going to pass him off. He's been passed off from the Sanhedrin to Pilate, now to Herod. And he takes him to Herod. Herod doesn't know what to do with him. He listens to him, and they, but his soldiers uh, mock Jesus. They they uh, dressed him in a robe, and a royal robe, sent him back to Pilate. And uh, so he goes back to Pilate, and Pilate's thinking, what am I going to do now? And, and uh, the Jews are pressuring him to, um, to kill Jesus. And uh, so he knows that they have a tradition on the Sabbath day, on the day of Passover, to release one of the prisoners. And so he asks them, who do you want to release? Wanting to release Jesus, he asks them, who do you want? Do you want Barabbas? This known criminal, he had whipped Jesus, you know, beat him, said, okay, you know, I've beaten him and, you know, treated him that way. Isn't that punishment enough? But they said, no, crucify him, give us Barabbas. So he was pressured by the the Jewish leaders into releasing this known criminal and condemning Jesus, whom Pilate said himself, I find no fault in him. Far as I can tell, he's not guilty of anything. But to keep the peace, because Pilate was first and foremost a politician, all right? To keep the peace, Pilate reluctantly agreed, and Jesus was led to a hill outside the city called Golgotha. He was forced to carry a 100-pound crossbeam to which he would be nailed. But because of the severity of the beatings he had had the night before by by those of those Jewish guards that took him to the Sanhedrin, they beat him. And then Pilate had him severely whipped with a cat of nine tails, just ripping him apart until almost to the place of death just by that beating. Uh, because of the beatings he had had, the loss of blood, he could not complete the journey carrying that crossbeam and collapsed under its weight somewhere near the city gate. Um, there was a Cyrenian standing by, and so the Roman soldiers just reached out and said, you, you carry it the rest of the way for him. And so he did, and Jesus managed to struggle to his feet and stagger up the hill. That timber would be affixed to a post, a vertical post that was would be raised up into the air. It was laid on the ground, and before they actually began the crucifixion, they offered him a, a mixture of wine and gall, a drink, which would have numbed him somewhat, uh, so he didn't feel the pain so terribly, uh, but he refused it. Uh, and again, he refused it because he knew why he was dying. He knew why he was being crucified. He knew he had to bear all the punishment, all the penalty, all the pain for, for us. He refused that. He was laid on the ground, and the Romans, the soldiers stretched out his hands and drove spikes through his wrists into that crossbeam, and then another spike was hammered through his insteps into that upright post that was now the crossbeam was affixed to. 
Uh, the charge against him had been written, Pilate had it written on a sign that said King of the Jews, and it was fastened to the cross right above his head that from the crown of thorns was blood soaked. And so likely with ropes, this cross laying on the ground and Jesus nailed to it, uh, ropes were attached to the cross beam. And with those ropes, the soldiers pulled him up so that the center pole, the vertical pole fell into a hole that probably had held the crosses of many, many, many before. This was a, the usual place of Roman execution in Jerusalem. It fell into the hole. As it fell into that hole, it slammed and jarred his shoulders. Some medical people say likely pulling them out of joint, dislocating his shoulders, um, tearing at his wrists with the nails, the spikes there, and his feet. Uh, Mark said this happened at 9 a.m. So this has all happened. These these trials and these beatings, the most severe beating, have all happened within about a a three-hour period. And then for three hours from nine until noon, people passed by. Most of them, the scripture tells us, mocked him. They walked by and as they said things to him about him, making fun of him, accusing him, uh, it was when Jesus uttered the words, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. Grace was beginning already, wasn't it? Many of them had likely cheered him on Sunday, just that previous Sunday, if this happened on Friday, then just Sunday, just a few days before. As he came into the city, riding on a colt, the triumphal entry, and they lined the street shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, welcoming Jesus into their city as their deliverer, as their Messiah, and now they're rejecting him. They don't believe that a Messiah would be crucified by the Romans. That's just totally, that can't happen. So they're rejecting him. They jeered him. The soldiers gambled for his clothes, we're told, and they mocked him. They said, if you're the king of the Jews, then save yourself. The Jewish leaders, Sanhedrin, they came by, the ones who demanded his death, and they scoffed at him, saying, so that others could hear. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And so he endured all this for about three hours. Just before noon, he, his best friend John, wrote the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, came by and brought Jesus' mother Mary. She wanted to see her son, no doubt. And that's when he spoke the words uh, to his mother and said, John is now your son. He's going to take care of you. And John, you take care of her as though she's your mother. All this was pre-planned by God. All these things that happened, none of them were accident. None of them caught Jesus by surprise. Now, they caught the disciples by surprise, even though you wondered where were they all the time that Jesus has been telling them, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be taken into the hands of the Gentiles and they're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. But they were shocked when all these things happened. But yet it was pre-planned by God and his eternal plan for, for your salvation, for our salvation. 740 years before Jesus came from heaven and became a man so that he could die on that cross, the prophet Isaiah 
wrote some words. If you have your Bible open to Isaiah 53, you can follow along with me. But as we read them, I want you to be thinking, and I'm going to put this up on the screen in just a few minutes, the cause and effect, but I want you to follow on. This is 740 years before the crucifixion. Isaiah writes, but he was pierced because of our transgressions. Let me just take a time out there and say, how did Isaiah know that? Crucifixion was a Roman form of execution. The Jewish form of execution was stoning. The Jews didn't nail people to the cross, yet Isaiah said he was pierced for our transgressions. And this was well before the Romans took over uh, their rule in that part of the world. How how did Isaiah know that? Because God inspired this. This is God's word. He was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. And we have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck, God said, because of my people's rebellion. Cause and effect in that passage. Here was the cause and here's what happened because of it. All right, the cause. For our transgressions, the effect, he was pierced. For our peace. Let me just stop and say there, the Bible says that if you are a Christian, you are at peace with God. Not only are you at peace with God because of the reconciliation that's taking place, but you also have within you, because of the Holy Spirit, the peace of God. What did Jesus say? You're going to know my peace. Greater than any peace you've ever known before. My peace I leave with you. For our peace, punishment was on him. For our healing, he was wounded. For our straying and our iniquity, iniquity is a longer word for sin. For our straying and our iniquity, he was punished by the Lord. He was oppressed and afflicted. He was slaughtered as a lamb. Again, thinking back to John the Baptist on that day when he was going to baptize Jesus and he looked and here came Jesus walking through the crowd and John the Baptist's words were, remember, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How did John know that? (laughs) He was filled with the Spirit of God. Our oppression and our judgment, he was taken away for for us. He was killed for Israel's rebellion. He was struck. In fact, it was when he was with the Sanhedrin that it says they struck him. Uh, because he said the words I am, claiming to be God. Isaiah goes on and says he was pierced. How was he pierced? He was pierced by thorns. He was pierced by nails. He was pierced by a soldier's spear. He bore our punishment for our sin. A punishment for our sin is death. 
So he had to die. A Roman cat of nine tails tore open his back. Our sin brought God's punishment on his own son. He was wrongly and unjustly condemned and beaten. And at the time he died, I mentioned this Sunday when we talked about the veil, the curtain in the temple being torn. At the time that Jesus died on the cross between three and four that afternoon, the Passover lamb was being sacrificed at the temple. Roman soldiers, they, he's, Isaiah said he was led away. Roman soldiers led into the place of crucifixion and the Jew, Jewish high priest struck him in the face for claiming to be Messiah. What Isaiah wrote, 740 years. Imagine if somebody attempted to write your life story back in the 1300s. What would you say about that? Impossible. <laughs> How could that be? Nobody could do that. What Isaiah wrote was so precisely accurate that his words couldn't have been the writings of his imagination. They were, and, they, and these words in Isaiah 53 were so well known to every Jew who ever attended services at the synagogues in Israel. Because Isaiah was often read. But for the vast majority of Jews to apply Isaiah 53, that they had heard so many times, to apply it to this Galilean preacher, miracle worker, teacher, rabbi, to apply it to him as he died on the cross, just didn't make a connection with them. They couldn't grasp that. Again, why? Messiah is not supposed to die. Messiah is supposed to come and be triumphant over the oppressors, meaning at that particular time, the Romans. A, a Messiah is supposed to come into Jerusalem and drive them away and free us from their rule. How could he be Messiah? But there he was, nailed to a cross. An innocent man is judged by Pilate, dying a criminal's death for the crimes of others. And on either side of him were two guilty criminals. Two men nailed to their own crosses for their own crimes. And it can be safely assumed that these two men were also Jews. Which means they, they knew that some in Judea and Galilee, they knew that there were people who believed that he was Messiah. Certainly they had heard of him. It also meant that sometime in their lives, from the time they were for little boys, they had gone to synagogue on Saturdays and they had heard Isaiah's prophecy of Christ read to them. Luke gives this account of the, of the criminals. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he looks over at Jesus. I don't know if he's on his right or his left, but he looks over from his cross at Jesus and he says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Two very different attitudes coming from these two criminals. 
I like the word, I think it's the King James calls them malefactors. And Jesus said to him, he looks at him and he says very simply these words, I assure you. How many times had Jesus said that phrase in all of his teaching? I assure you, verily, verily, I say, I promise this is going to happen. Over and over and over in his ministry, those words. And he looks at this man and he says, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.